Well, good evening. Uh, tonight, we are inviting you to look in at the cross of Calvary. And before we look in uh, at the cross, I thought it'd be important to go back and look at a few things in the book of Genesis to help remind us of why Jesus went to the cross. And the book of Genesis tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and, and all that is within them. And he did this through the, the power of his spoken word. And he created all things, both the things that are visible and the things that are unseen. And after each day that God created, he sat back and called it good. And then after he created man and woman, he called his creation very good. Thereby suggesting that human beings are uniquely made in God's image and are very special in his eyes, the most special of all his creation. And so God created human beings and and placed them in the Garden of Eden, a place where they could maximize their human flourishing and to be all that God intended them to be. He put them in paradise. God gave Adam and Eve everything. He provided them with close fellowship. He provided them with purpose. He provided them with abundant food and with water. He provided them with everything that is good. And God essentially said to Adam and Eve, you can have it all right here, except there's one condition. There's just one thing that you cannot do. He gave them one command of what they could not do. And he said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is what it says in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, that's Genesis chapter 2. But then in Genesis chapter 3, it shows Adam and Eve were not able to keep even one command. They're not even able to keep one command in the most perfect environment that God gave them. Everything that God offered them was not good enough for them. As they fell into Satan's deception, that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil really wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that bad. That you're not going to die. You're really going to believe God's word? But as soon as they took and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they quickly learn that something has gone incredibly wrong. Their eyes are opened to their own shame they realize that they are exposed. Not only are they exposed physically as as they were ashamed of their nakedness, but it's also a shame of what's going on on the inside, of what's going on in their hearts, because their hearts are exposed for what they are, which is guilty of disobeying God. And so what do they do as a result of their guilt and their shame? Well, they try to hide. They try to cover it up. You know, maybe no one will know. 
maybe this really won't look as bad as we think it might look. But try as they might, God knows. God knows Adam and Eve have transgressed his law. And because they have broken his law, God must enforce his punishment for sin. And God's punishment for sin, like he said to Adam and Eve, is death. And this death is both physical and spiritual. It's a physical death because we do see people die, right? People physically die, and the reason people physically die is because of sin. As it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, or the penalty, if you will, of sin is death. Adam's punishment for sin, though, was not just his consequence, but it impacts all people. In Romans 5.12, it makes this clear by saying, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so what this verse is saying is that Adam, being the first human being, God created, the first representative of the human race, failed. He failed. He became guilty of sin, of disobeying God, and because he is guilty, all of the human race is guilty as well. Adam's guilt and punishment for sin has been passed on to each person through each generation of all time. And so, What Adam caught, essentially, if you want to put it in modern terms, Adam caught the sin virus. And the consequence for that virus is death. And that virus has spread to each and every person. Again, of all times, throughout all generations, everybody has been impacted by sin from our first parents. We're all infected with it. And we all die as a result of it. Sin leads not only to physical death, but to spiritual death. And spiritual death means that we are eternally separated from God and stand eternally under God's wrath, condemned to suffer eternity in hell unless unless there is a remedy that's provided by God. And being spiritually dead also means that human beings are born into a state of spiritual deadness. In other words, we are born with a sin nature, a propensity to do evil. Even though we are capable of doing some good, and people will do some good things, and they're capable of understanding right from wrong. The fact is, in our fallen sinful nature, we think and do what is wrong more than what is right. And so, in other words, our natural inclination and direction of our lives is not to follow God's ways, but to follow our own sinful desires. In fact, the Bible speaks of this natural inclination towards sin much more strongly than I'm even saying it, because it says that human beings are slaves to sin. In other words, we are in bondage to it. We're held captive by it. As C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, about the issue of sin, he says that human beings 
all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. And secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave in that way. So mankind, mankind though, has tried to fix this sin problem between ourselves and God and between this separation between ourselves and God. And they've tried to do this by doing what we think would satisfy God. And sometimes we might think we can do enough good works to make ourselves right with God. But Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment before a holy God. And a polluted garment is a garment that would become polluted after you, you know, went and did number two, okay? That's what he's talking about. So mankind, the other way that mankind has tried to, you know, make ourselves right with God is, is through religion, through various forms of religion to satisfy the gods, multiple gods, or by making claims you're following the one true God, but really when you're doing that, you end up adding or subtracting to what God has already made clear in his word. And both of these end up being false religion. And all false religion really is, is man's attempt to get himself right with God on his own terms rather than God's terms. But God has provided a way for human beings to get right with himself. He has provided a cure for the sin virus, and that provision is through the person we're worshiping tonight, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the cross, to Good Friday. And the events of this day were prophesied in the Bible about 700 years before the birth of Christ, as God's prophet Isaiah was told by God to write a prophecy of a coming, suffering servant of God who would be slain for the sins of the world. In other words, this was God-ordained. It was planned a long, long time ago that the sin virus would be provided a cure. We heard a little bit about this when Brighton was up here a few moments ago reading through the whole chapter of Isaiah 53. And I'd encourage you to read that this weekend if you've never read it before or if you just want to be meditating on something for Easter. And the suffering, of the, the suffering servant in that chapter is none other than, than Jesus Christ. And so tonight I want to take just a few more minutes with you to focus on a small but very important point, or not point, but portion of that chapter. And that small portion that I want to focus, is, focus us on are verses 4 through 6 in Isaiah 53. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read through these uh, three verses here, and then I'm going to go back through and uh, just uh, extrapolate a little bit on each of those verses. So Isaiah 53, 4 to 6, and each of these verses will be up on the sides for you. So Isaiah 53, 4 to 6, starting verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So going back to to verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And what this is talking about is that Jesus placed all of our griefs and sorrows upon himself at the cross. All the griefs and sorrows from the results of sin were placed upon him at the cross. All the grief and result and sorrows from uh, diseases, sicknesses, lies, thefts, sexual sins, death itself, worshiping foreign gods, all of, all of your sin, you know, and, and that's not just outward things, that's things internally too, in our thoughts and in our hearts that we've had that are opposed to God. And so all of the guilt of your sin, Jesus willingly placed upon himself at the cross because Jesus himself said in John 10, 17 to 18, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. So Jesus voluntarily placed all the anguish of your sins upon himself at the cross. And this prophecy also states that many would be in disbelief about Jesus dying for the sins of the world. That's the second part there of verse 4. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And this really is speaking to the shameful way in which Jesus died. Because death on a cross was a grotesque and shameful death, considered that by both the Jews and the Romans. In fact, I was reading this week that the Roman senator Cicero, before the time of Christ, he spoke of the cross as being a most cruel and disgusting punishment. And Jews thought, based on Deuteronomy 21-23, that anyone hung on a tree was under God's curse. So there was nothing, but there was nothing that Jesus did in his life that was, that was deserving of him being cursed. Jesus lived a sinless life. There was no guilt found in him. But he voluntarily took on our curse. The curse of sin God placed on you and me, he ended up placing on Jesus. Galatians 3.13 says that Jesus became a curse for, for us. And 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. The guilt of your sin and my sin was placed upon Jesus at the cross. And in verse 5, Isaiah's prophecy states that the servant of God would suffer and that the purpose of his suffering would bring healing for people. In verse 5, I think, answers what we opened up with tonight of why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he go to the cross? 
Well, Jesus went to the cross to demonstrate both the love and justice of God. Verse 5, the first part says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Meaning, Jesus was shamed. He was mocked. He was physically beaten, tortured, and killed. He was pierced by nails being driven through his hands and feet. And a spear was pushed through his side. His body was crushed by the beating and the scourging of the whip against his back. He suffered on your behalf. He was pierced for your transgression. He was crushed for your iniquities. And what this verse is speaking of is Jesus being the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for sin. This is the ultimate demonstration of God's love towards sinners because God was under no obligation to provide a way out of our sin. It was purely out of his love and his grace and his goodness that he chose to do this. In John 4, 10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation means to offer a sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God and in turn makes him look favorably towards us. This is what is meant in verse 5 here when it says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he received the full weight of God's wrath upon him. Jesus knew in going to the cross, he was facing God's wrath. For in the Garden of Gethsemane, he twice prayed for the cup of God's wrath to pass him by. But he stayed obedient to the Father's plan and received God's chastisement, his wrath, his punishment for sin, going all the way to death. So Jesus going to the cross was not only a demonstration of the love of God, but it also demonstrated God's justice being carried out as his punishment for just sin, or as his punishment for sin, because a perfectly holy God must punish sin. If he doesn't, then he's incapable. There's something wrong with him. He's a lesser God. Because Jesus was the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for sin and bore the penalty of God's wrath that we justly deserve, we can be healed from the power of sin and made right with God. As the last part of that verse says in verse 5, and with his wounds we are healed. The result of Jesus' suffering and paying the penalty for our sin is that it brings us peace between us and God. It reconciles us back to him. We are put back into right relationship with God because the offense has been covered. The penalty has been paid. And we are no longer under God's eternal judgment. We're no longer under his wrath. For those who believe in Jesus, you are saved from eternal death and given eternal life. Again, Jesus is going to the cross as a demonstration of both the love and the justice of God. As it says in Romans 5, 8, and 9, but God shows his love for us in that, we were still, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, 
we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So the precious blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin and saves us from the wrath of God. It saves us from eternal death and gives us eternal life. His wounds heal us by breaking the power of sin that's over us, that we are no longer and no longer must be slaves to sin, but can become slaves to righteousness. And Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and mine and redeemed us from the power of sin and the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of Christ. And this brings us to verse 6. And this, to me, this is our confession tonight. This is our confession that we all need to acknowledge, which is that we've all strayed from a holy God and stand guilty before him. But God has provided a way back to himself through Jesus. The verse says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So verse 6 here tonight, this is a, a confession for us that we must acknowledge that we all, like sheep, have wandered off. We've each gone our own way. We've all transgressed God's law, and we're all guilty of breaking it and being deserving of death. But in God's grace and love towards us sinners, he made Jesus to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our guilt and our sin at the cross, paying the penalty for our sins and suffering God's wrath on our behalf so that if we should believe in him, he then gives us his righteousness. And tonight, uh, in a few moments, we're going to come here to the cross and demonstrate our confession of what Jesus did at the cross. But first, let me pray, and then we're going to hear from the choir. Lord, thank you for your great love for us and that while we were still sinners, you died for us. That you took our penalty that we justly deserved. That you, and by doing that, that we can be healed if we put our faith in you. This is love. 